Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode, Dr. Julie Lamara, a faculty member in OPDD, and Scott Betty, VP of Footwear and Gear at Solomon North America, talk about their recent collaboration, challenging students to explore opportunities to integrate NASA materials and technologies into the Solomon line. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today, two guests. First, our very own Dr. Julie Lamara, an assistant professor here in OPDD, and Scott Betty, the VP of Footwear and Gear at Solomon. Thank you both for joining me today. Happy to be here. Pleasure. Um, Listeners um, will maybe find this a little familiar. We've had a similar conversation last year with with you, Julie, about this ongoing partnership that that we have here at the university with NASA. And and last year, Under Armour was our our partner, and and this year we we brought in Solomon. And I say we, but really, you brought in Solomon into this 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 partnership. So um, wanted to go through and kind of talk about how that all came together and. And uh, your class in particular, where you ran this project and and some of the results, and um, but maybe we should start with with the class for those who didn't didn't listen to the last you know the previous episode that that we recorded together, Julie. What is design thinking? Um, we're we're gonna pretend we're sitting in your your first day of design thinking class. What is design thinking? Uh, without taking a whole semester to you know elaborate on that topic, um, I think most simply stated design thinking is a methodology. It's an approach to problem solving and uh, our students moving through the program take design thinking as the first um, quote unquote studio class as a full cohort that's been um, accepted into our two-year professional program. So they'll take their first two years, gain their skills, apply for matriculation. And uh, once they get into the program, this is their first together cohort um, experience going through the product creation process and really putting together a system that works across those different domains of you know, product line management, design, and development, and working through those methodological approaches of empathy, of defining down your problem statement, of iterating on those designs to prototyping and then testing, and then obviously 
starting over and coming back around. It's not a, it's a non-linear approach. However, we talk about it in a linear space because then it can get a little bit esoteric if we're trying to move around a very free flow, but it ends up being a really cool experience for students to work together in teams to dive into those different um, aspects of design thinking and to find their own approach that works for whatever it is that they're trying to solve that problem. That's great. Um, I maybe share a little bit more about, um, I mean, this, this kind of goes back to the previous year of, of first pulling NASA into this project, but, um, maybe, maybe share a little bit about your previous experience with, with NASA and kind of how some of that came together as well. Right. Um, so since our program is really unique, and we take a kind of an interesting approach to teaching design and um, design methodologies like design thinking. NASA, uh, I think, Chase, they found, they found you and us to connect into our program because they have a program called the Tech, uh, I'm going to get it wrong, um, Technology Transfer Program. And they have a portfolio of patents that have been used in space exploration or NASA projects that are just kind of sitting around and collecting dust. And what they want as a, you know, government agency propelling science and innovation, they want those patents to be in use for humanity and to be implemented in ways that maybe they did not think of initially because it was meant for a specific mission. And what other, you know, harsh environments are out there beyond space and who designs for that? Well, that's us, right? We design for the harsh environments and to mediate activity and space in place that um, are extremely variable, right? So mountainscapes, waterscapes, um, desertscapes, and beyond. And so, when we were approached with this partnership, I was like, this is amazing. This could really fit into our curriculum in a really unique way. And especially with our juniors moving into our professional end of the program, working together in teams in their various different roles, how how could that be integrated in? Um, and last year we were like, well, I think we need to apply it to an industry partner. And Under Armour was that partner last year. And that worked out really well. And our students were able to kind of raise the bar and uh, produce product products and or conceptual products and projects to present to uh, Under Armour representatives and also NASA representatives. And it worked out so well that we decided to do it again. But this time, with the idea of using Solomon because Solomon's brand is really interesting in respects of their product offering. Since our students are able to, you know, design or create products within the hard goods spaces, the soft goods spaces, or the apparel spaces, and in any of those various genres of the outdoor industry and like, you know, activities that occur in the outdoor industry, Solomon has that wide variety of hard goods, soft goods, apparel that they can kind of pick from. Uh, they were tasked to find white space within the Solomon brand to see if there was something that may be a missed opportunity and easy pivot point um, to integrate some of these NASA technologies. So 
my students did a really great job of digging deep into like the market, um, into the Solomon brand, into the demographic, and then finding a problem statement and defining that so that it was open-ended enough to go through the NASA portfolio to see which type of technology could enhance that solution. So they didn't start with the, the, you know, NASA tech or the idea of what they're going to make. They had to find that white space, um, you know, define that problem statement and then work through it to find the proper solution. And their first solution nine times out of nine wasn't necessarily the one that worked the best. So again, taking the form of that iterative process, they only had an eight weeks to put these concepts together. And in that, those eight weeks, they really upped the ante on the kind of submissions that they were able to present to Scott and to um, NASA representatives. Well, Scott, um, I'm curious what your first thoughts were when you were approached to participate in in something like this. I I'm assuming this is not something that you do every day in in the in the context of like working with a university on projects like this. Maybe you have, and I'd love to hear your experience with that if you have. But what were what were your first thoughts when you were pitched on this this concept? Yeah, first thoughts were absolute excitement, and the reason for that is boils down to simple reality of you can often learn the most from a fresh set of eyes on any problem. And I think often in the corporate world, you get so focused on your day-to-day, your strategies, whether they're near-term or long-term, that oftentimes you don't have the luxury of distance to have perspective. So I firmly believe in you can't have perspective without a certain degree of distance. So for me, this was an opportunity for uh, a group of young minds who are disconnected from what we're already kind of indoctrinated to focus on at a corporate level, who are given a very kind of pure task, if you will. And Julie said it, but the, uh, the opportunity for a fresh set of eyes, youthful energy, who perceive things differently because they're not indoctrinated to a degree into the into the day-to-day and the corporate norms or even the you know the industry norms who come at things from a different perspective generationally different perspective from that uh, fresh set of eyes to really identify problem statements and then look for solutions uh, that's in the sweet spot of how I feel like you can learn the most is when you put those ingredients together. And then to top it all off, being able to have a partner like NASA who's willing to help them navigate some of what has to be the most innovative technology on the planet, uh, how could you not be excited by it? I think one of the biggest differences between the last project and and this year's project, um, and I'm curious how this kind of came together in this evolution. Julie, I'm sure you looked at last year and and found things that you wanted to change, but I'm curious if if you two had conversations beforehand that kind of led to more of this focus on let's identify the gaps that might exist within or or that white space. Um, in your words, Julie, that exists within Solomon's current lineup. I, I think the previous projects that that we did the year before, um, they were a little more um, 
moonshot type projects, but they didn't necessarily have a clear brand partner in mind. They weren't designing for a brand, um, but the projects were great. And there were really interesting kind of more those moonshot type concepts. Um, This year's projects, while grounded in NASA tech, right. And pushing the boundaries, they, they felt grounded in reality and seemed like they could fit within, within any of your categories or, or maybe be pushing into a new category. I'm curious how that came about kind of changing the focus on just purely moonshot concepts, moonshot ideas to let's, let's inject innovation into, you know, some of these, the the white space that might exist within the brand. I'm curious and neither of you can start. I don't know how that came about. No, that's a, that's a great question. And I think I can answer it because um, that goes into kind of my angelological philosophy of teaching and what doing that for the first time i was like okay let's test the waters let's see what we can do um here under armor does not have as much of a, a you know breadth in their product offerings it's it's mostly apparel uh and we have a lot of students that really love like that hard goods and soft goods um area and that's what they really want to focus on so for that particular partnership, we weren't we weren't designing for or creating products for Under Armour, but they were just an affiliate that was giving feedback. And while they really did a great job with these kind of like what you would say moonshot ideas and conceptual pieces, um, as I was reflecting back on my teaching and reflecting back on the class and the outcomes that I wanted to produce, and going back to those like tenants of andragogy and adult learning theory that I wanted to kind of create an atmosphere that what they were doing was totally applicable to their goals. And there was a near-term kind of um, connection between this is actually a viable thing. This is what, you know, the industry could absorb into their brand you're going to be going out into the world and some of you are going to start your own brands and do amazing things but probably the majority of you are going to be absorbed into industry and have to kind of take on that brand language and what does that look like in this space how do you become innovative in a cocoon of a company that already has a really solid brand image and identity platform and mission statement and vision and uh, ways to kind of look at their products and their demographic and their marketing messages. How do you use that as your constraints as a product creator, either on the product line management side, the design side, or the development side, and integrate your innovative, amazing ideas so that it makes sense for that company in it, you are working within those parameters and kind of also simultaneously pushing the bounds. And so as I was reflecting and kind of wrapping my head around, what am I going to do differently in this class to make it just that much better and that much more applicable to their degrees and to what their goals are in, you know, by taking this route, um, I needed more information myself. I don't, I mean, I'm in a unique spot that I don't have a lot of industry experience in the outdoors, but I have other experience that I lean on to. And I am, you know, a trained researcher. So if I am going to need to make informed decisions, I'm going to go to the source and try to parse out that information so that I can use it and use that data that I collect to help my students. And so I um, 
contacted Scott and some of his colleagues and made a plan for a, a little baby externship, I guess we could call it, and spent some time at Solomon headquarters and just basically followed followed these guys around and watched what they were doing and asked them all the questions about all the things. And I just organically started to have these really nice conversations. And then I pitched this NASA idea to Scott and kind of planted that seed and then followed up with him later. And I'm really glad it worked out. He kind of bit onto my, my bait. You're a good salesperson. <laughs> to try sometimes. I think to be a teacher, you kind of have to be a little <laughs> bit of a salesperson. <laughs> you had a great pitch, Julius. Yeah, thanks. Scott, was it... Were, was there any feedback that you provided like going into this project? Is there anything that you definitely wanted to see or were there kind of no expectations going into this experience? Yeah, I think we, we established a few guardrails on passive exploration. And I will say, you know, sitting through the work that the students presented and the, the number of projects that were presented, I was very excited about how they did a, quite frankly, they did a great job. So they did a really nice job of identifying a problem statement that was meaningful. You know, a lot of times an esoteric problem statement or something that's a little loose, um, you may not come up with a solution that's meaningful. So I think almost to a group, they identified very meaningful problem statements, and then they came up with uh, solutions for those problem statements, dependent upon the uses of NASA, usage of NASA technology. So the starting point uh, was a terrific starting point, but the execution by each of the groups was equally terrific. You know, they, they really did a nice job. And quite honestly, I mentioned it to Julie as the groups were presenting. There were times where I felt like I was being briefed by an internal commercial team that was about to launch a product in a couple of years, and they were walking you through a product brief, uh, and you knew that two years from now, you'd see it on the shelf. Then at other times, it felt like I was being briefed by an R&D team who was uh, giving an explanation of proof of concept that would then be at the doorstep of being commercialized. So now maybe you're in the three to five-year window. And then there were other groups that were also uh, future technologies that might require a ton of work to get to proof of concept before you could pre-commercialize. And maybe those were in the five-year plus. But we, I feel like we had a great cross-section of all of those within the number of groups that presented. So in my opinion, students did a great job and uh, there were a lot of very meaningful and viable opportunities within that body of work. Julie, I think this is something you and I are passionate about, this um, presentation and really ramping up the quality of the, the student's ability to present in a way that, you know, I, I think Julie and I can can both safely say we're we're like over the moon to hear that, that feedback that that it felt like it was it was professional that you were sitting in that kind of a setting and the students rose to the occasion in terms of their their presentations not only the content but their delivery um julie i don't know if you don't mind sharing a little bit about your thoughts on like why this class for like really um ramping up their their ability and that expectation to uh present professionally i don't know i'm I'm not giving you a lot to work with there but no any thoughts on and i also take what you just said scott as like the highest of compliments because i do push that um really hard 
in on my students. And sometimes maybe I think I push too hard, but they inevitably rise to the occasion. So maybe it's just the sweet spot that push it, but I'm not pushing them over a cliff. Um, yeah, this idea that this class this way, this is the first real um, entry point, I think, into the last two years of this program. Uh, they The first two years is really comprised of those technical skills of building that technical portfolio. Can you draw? Can you sketch? Can you um, present down your ideas? Do you have the computer skills to render, to put together a portfolio that says that you have some, some talent going on in the technical realm? Most of the time, what I see with students in their first two years is that as they're learning their technical skills, they are designing for themselves because that's the person in whom they know the most about. And they are usually found, like they find us because they have an issue with gear or they love gear or they love the outdoors or a specific aspect of the outdoors. And they've kind of in, indoctrinated themselves and made this thing in the outdoors like their whole being and their whole personality. So they want to be there. They want to influence that industry. And they know so much already about what they like and do not like that they tend to be very hyper-focused and magnified on just designing for themselves or for their direct cohort of uh, buddies that they, you know, do these things with and not the broader scope of the you know target demographic because my idea is that you, you're not going to be designing for yourself if you're, you're lucky if you are designing for somebody like yourself that's great but most of the time it's you're not right and you have different things that need to be put out into the world that meet different expectations on performance on you know demographics on you know even terrain so you need to be able to design well and to have that foundation of design so strong and product creation processes so strong that you are able to walk into any area of that industry and know the proper procedures to go through and the lines of inquiry that you need to take so that you can create something that meets those objectives and is successful in those ways. And so this first round of class that they get into and they take together as a full cohort um, after matriculation, after acceptance into the program is the perfect opportunity to say, all right, you have the technical skills. We know that. I've seen them. Now let's get into the nitty gritty, the theory of it and the questions that need to be answered because you know, what if you get a really awesome opportunity in the industry and you're designing for women's swimwear, but you're not a woman and you've never put on a woman's bathing suit before? How would you know how to do that? You have the technical skills to do it, but do you know what actually needs to fall into place to make sure that you're designing a swimsuit that a female body can, you know, put on and do whatever activity needs to be done without falling out of it, right? So how would you do that in this space? Um, and I challenge them to push themselves into those kind of places that are unknown and unfamiliar and to explore it and to go into it with like that growth mindset that 
new set of eyes without the expert bias that's telling you we can't do it because we've always done it this way. And, you know, yeah, we may have always done it this one way, but is that the only way? Maybe. Is it? Maybe not. We never know until we try and we kind of push those boundaries. There's an interesting project that was actually um, propelled through this NASA project that really pushed on some students in that way. Uh, I had a student that was really into a project previously, kind of started exploration on uh, women's maternity sportswear. She's never been pregnant before, so she was pushing her in that space as well. Uh, And she was paired up with two um, guys that were, you know, they're very masculine. They are hunters, fishers, surfers, and they were like, yeah, let's go. We'll do women's maternity sportswear. And in their empathy kind of phase of their design um, thinking methodology, they went and got their hands on um, pregnancy belly, maternity pregnancy belly wear, where that's weighted. And uh, these guys, it was like six foot big men putting on these pregnancy bellies and running and laying, sitting down and trying to get up off the floor, tying their shoes doing squats, um, exercising and documenting how they felt through that process so that they could better inform their design decisions and how they're going to like even go and market this because now they have that experience that they would have never had before just because they needed to put themselves literally in the shoes of their target demographic. And I thought that was pretty cool to watch them do that the pictures were amazing and uh their project had that really that nice foundation of research that informed their decisions and it made a lot of sense in the storytelling of that process and so that presentation of hey here is the thing that we're trying to do here's the problem statement and here's how we're going to address it and this is why we did what we did Here's the data to back it up and substantiate our claims. And while we may have not covered everything, we, you know, there's room for exploration. And here would be the next steps to kind of push this further. I really do a lot of practice in this class of making sure they get comfortable. Students are not comfortable talking in front of anyone, especially even their peers. And then you bring someone like Scott and like, NASA into the fold that they're presenting to. And it's like, you can get a little nerve wracking. So uh, I do a lot of like public speaking, um, little mini tasks where I have them, you know, do a silly thing. And then they get three minutes to present and everybody in their group has to talk and articulate out and keeping within that time frame and like the amount of slides or visual aids that they can use. They definitely practiced and did a, you know, a rehearsal run before giving their final presentations. And then they just get a lot of, I would say, almost unfiltered feedback from me and their peers and um, upperclassmen and even some other professors that I would invite in to kind of give that initial feedback so that they can tighten it up and hone it in so that when it was go time to present, they were, they were paced and they knew what they were talking about and they were much more confident in their delivery because they had practiced it. 
multiple times over. So I really do push that um, presentation is about as important as the product that you're pitching because you have to sell it, that it's an actual great idea. And if you can't do that in your visuals and your articulation, then you're going to have a real hard time moving anything forward. I'm glad that you brought up that one uh, maternity project or project in particular. Um, Scott, are there any projects that jumped out to you as you were watching the final presentations? Yeah, there were quite a few. And there, again, there were different, I would say, points in the stream of idea down to commercial viability. Um, one of the ones that I really liked a lot was the usage of NASA technology for space vehicle tires as a potential solution for outdoor footwear. I thought that was fascinating because it would be uh, it would be unexpected. So it surprised me to a degree that they connected the dots between the two. Uh, so I found that fascinating. It was one that I would put in the five year plus bucket. It would take a lot of you know in- innovative uh, commercial work to uh, ultimately make that into a viable product, but the potential was there for sure. So I love that one. Uh, I also like the the technology NASA has for surfacing products in order to reduce or to increase hydrophobicity and reduce uh, surface tension to ultimately create what could be a ski you never need to wax or snowboard you never need to wax. I thought that was terrific. Uh, I did love the maternity project as well on the apparel side uh, because it required some out of the box thinking of really the performance needs of the consumer. So there were there were quite a few that jumped out, and I think Julie had touched on something earlier that uh, is r- critically important, and that is any team, whether it's a team of students at a university or an internal team at a large company, is the importance of continuing to always prioritize the needs of the consumer. And I think what you find in passion industries and outdoor is a passion industry, our industry tends to be populated with a lot of people who are end users. And because you're an end user, you inherently tend to have some bias. And those bias off those biases are often expressed in product solutions. So it's hard to get out of your own way at times. So I was appreciative of the groups that didn't rely on what would have been inherent bias as an end user to go outside that comfort zone. Because in those situations, you know, uh, example would be the team that was focused on maternity wear. They had no firsthand knowledge or experience. So it forced them to really sharply focus in and listen to and observe the needs of the consumer. And that's incredibly value. It's we struggle to get out of our own way at times, and we set traps for ourselves when we rely on our own internal sets of experience or internal bias. Not a bad thing. That's what expertise is built on. But I think you often have to remind yourself to pour those into a bucket, leave them under the desk, and come at things with a completely clean slate, and start over with the consumer that you intend to serve and what their needs are and forget about your own biases or predispositions. So many students don't even recognize that they have bias. So I have them do an exercise that just like, I don't want to read it. I do not want to know what their biases are on any of these things, but I want them to write it down and to at least recognize that they exist 
So that way, when it starts to peak in, they know, all right, it's peaking in because I have this experience and this underlying bias towards whatever it is I'm trying to do. Is that, does that inform or does that um, inhibit my ability to be innovative or to push into this space? And if it inhibits it, what can you do to address it and move past it? And what techniques can you use to move past it and find a new perspective and, you know, frameworks to des- design or create products within versus does this enhance it because I have this experience and bias? And if the answer is yes, then you lean into it, but you own it and still leaving yourself open to a pivot point within that process. So I try really hard to make sure that they're even aware that they have that in them. Yeah. I, if I can go back a, a couple steps in the development process, I'm, I'm curious, um, Julie, how did the students select what materials to use? I know in the previous year, they were kind of presented a, a suite of, of materials that they could, could, could choose for their project. Um, was that the same? Was it different? How did that work? Um, this go around. Yeah. So um, I had them pick their groups based on sort of the genre in which they wanted to explore. So whether that would be footwear or apparel or the hard goods in the ski or snow or snowboard industry. Um, And we formulated their groups based on their interests. And then it just so happened that I had a very nice mix of, you know, product line management students, design students and development students that Every team had one a minimum of one of each in them, and they organically just found themselves in those silos. So that was nice. Um, previously, yeah, I, I kind of gave them a suite, um, but I approached it a little bit differently this semester in the sense that I wanted them to figure out first what was the white space, so to speak, in Solomon's brand in that space or that silo in which they all kind of gravitated towards and to really do a deep dive of what innovative things has Solomon implemented into their products thus far and what other things could help and start, you know, talking to people and to um, doing their observational work and their empathy work and their qualitative and quantitative data collection and analysis before even getting into the problem statement um, moving into that problem statement and then collecting more and then going into the NASA portfolio and seeing what, what was there and having kind of an understanding of what was there. And if one or two or three of these could possibly work to solve that broad problem statement in one way or another, kind of going down that rabbit hole of research to see if that's the best solution. Um, with the one that you're talking about with the tires and the shoe, that one started off completely different in the NASA tech. And it was very difficult for them to start wrapping their brains around like how this would viably be put together. And if it was actually a feasible design solution and uh, that team met with me quite a bit. And we finally sat down and just made them kind of go backwards a little bit and get to the foundation of the, how might we do what, what are you trying to solve? Is this the thing that's doing it? Or is there another tech that you saw in here that could help increase 
the solution barrier. And as soon as they recognized that they weren't married to that material and that their first kind of, you know, ideations weren't working out, that they could leave it and be okay leaving it and pivot, it made their solution so much stronger when they actually presented it because they weren't beholden to one technology and trying to make it fit like square peg round hole they were trying to really find the root of the question and this technology was going to be an enhancement of based on their research of the tech and their research of solomon and their research of the demographic so it's like a trifecta kind of coming together to pinpoint what technology would be best utilized in that specific scenario. That's great. And I think it, um, it kind of highlights what you often see that I would call failures and attempt at innovation. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you can marry yourself to a solution and that solution may not improve, say, performance or improve the experience or performance for the consumer. And if that's the case, if you really truly haven't innovated, and in my mind, innovation is um, not just a different mousetrap, but it's got to be a better mousetrap. And if it doesn't provide for a better experience for the end consumer, then staying married to a solution, uh, you end up, I think, with a less than optimal product, a less than optimal story. You know, different isn't always better. And what I see out in the world of product creation a lot of times is just a different mousetrap. It's not necessarily a better mousetrap. And I think that's due in part of you get married to a solution and you really don't challenge yourself to ask the hard questions about, did I really improve the experience for the consumer? And is it worth uh, just doing one more thing that's different? I like to tell my students, I ask them this question, are you just putting lipstick on a pig? Yeah. No, and just calling it good because you slapped a new colorway on it? Or was there a reason to switch up the design? And what was that reason? Is it activity-centered design? Are you trying to make the activity more accessible? Or are you taking a human-centered approach? Are you combining the two? Or are you just putting this cool tech on to say you did it? And if I ask it in that way, they go, huh. Yeah, I'm going to get back to you on that one. And then they usually sit with it to find that route that they're trying to push towards. That's why it's an eight-week project and not just like a turnaround (laughs) one-week kind of segmentation in a curriculum. Julie, can you give a glimpse into like what were the thoughts and feelings and emotions from the students before the presentations and after, I guess, kind of give us a, a visual of, of oh. what that looked like. Well, these teams, they worked really, really well together. Um, and they worked through these processes in class, out of class. And, you know, by the time we got to presentation time, I feel like they added kind of emphasis or pressure, I guess, that happens with presentations as like finals is that, yes, it's a, it's a final. Um, and yes, you're presenting to your class and to your professor. But when you add the extra sprinkle on top of, you are also 
presenting to the VP of Gears and Shoes from Solomon. And you were also presenting to a few of the NASA affiliates that some could have been the inventors of the product you or the solution that you chose. They did not want to walk up there and be caught with like pie on their face. So their nerves were elevated just flat out. They, they had a little bit more of that stress that was propelling for excellence. Um, and I avoid perfection because perfection doesn't exist, but they were striving for excellence in their presentation. And um, the practice that we went into these presentations with, like I don't hold back with my students. It's kind of a reputation that I have in our program that I've been hearing about um, passively. And I would agree that it's correct that I tend to ask very difficult, hard-lined questions and I, and I make them defend their answers. And that is what is going to happen in industry. You're going to be asked very pointedly, why did you do that? Why didn't you do it this way? How come you picked that? Well, can you explain that a little bit further? And just kind of having like even that tone with them and that directness, if they stumbled, we can go pause. All right, you stumbled here. What do you need to do to answer that question when it arises? They'll write it down and then they'll eventually come back to me with a formulated answer that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so up to the presentation, I could tell there was some nerves, obviously. It's nerve wracking to present in general beyond having like guests in the room. Um, but once those guests entered the room, they owned it and they did it. And I think the collective energy of the room after those presentations, everything just lifted and they felt like they had learned so much through this project. They were so stoked and jazzed to keep moving in these directions that they had this opportunity um, to work with industry, to really do a deep dive and do it in a safe place that if they would have stumbled and fallen on their faces, they could have gotten back up and saved face. You know, it wasn't life or death, but it was just enough pressure for them to feel so that they could perform. And once they performed that sense of satisfaction that I saw in the students and even like afterwards when they either emailed me or came by afterwards, like they were like so excited and they just wanted to say all the things about how cool this was. And like, oh, did you hear I, like the comments that you made, like those compliments that you gave them or like the hard, harder questions of critique. They're like, oh, I should have thought of that before, but now I know what I'm going to do. And they were still so excited about it that um, a few of the students that have worked on these projects, they're trying to figure out ways to kind of expand on what they did in a more individualistic way um, in their studio classes and to, to see how else they can kind of push and pull this idea um, in a in another direction, which I think is really exciting, that it kind of sparked confidence in their ability that, yes, you know something about something and you're able to define what that thing is in a professional manner. And it was perceived as confident and it was perceived as accurate and innovative and 
that in and of itself was the ultimate icing on the cake for me because students in general have what we call imposter syndrome going into the industry that they don't know that what they're doing is going to be taken as, you know, the right way, or they don't know enough, or they got here on accident and showing, showing them that, no, you're, you're in the room for a reason and you are owning your space and you know your stuff because you've done your homework. And that kind of just joy that they all like exuded afterwards was really, really, really cool. Scott, what, what does the next day look like for you? You know, you take in all of this information, you see these presentations, like, you know, you could just walk away and say, well, that was a cool experience. Um, but I guess, what did you take away from it? Is there something that you took back to your team or something that, you know, you hope to change or is, are there projects that you saw that, you know, that sparks an idea and you'd love to see developed and, and love to see some of this work go a little further, I guess, where, where do you go from here or, or where did you go after, after the presentations? Yeah. So the, the next step for me immediately internally, you know, so look at it from the Solomon perspective, uh, was to take the body of work. Julie was kind enough to send me all the presentations or give me a link to all the presentations and then share them with our uh, global design and innovation team, which is in Annecy, France. So our North American headquarters is here in Ogden, but our global headquarters uh, is in France. And that team is responsible for setting the future of design and innovation. So those ideas and concepts uh, reviewed with my innovation partner there. And now the team has all of the projects. And I think uh, next steps for that team is to look at where the, the greatest need or most immediate need might lie, and then look at further exploration. And it's likely, you know, ke- connecting dots between Solomon and NASA on technologies that might be able to you know, s- serve future products and ultimately serve the consumer. So I was pretty excited by the body of work overall from uh, now, if I put on my hat of uh, from a Utah state perspective or Julie's perspective, the body of work overall is terrific. And I would sit here and say that I would, you know, welcome the opportunity to assist Julie further if it to the benefit of her students, because those students ultimately end up in the industry And some of them may very well end up on our team at some point. And why not give them the best chance to excel uh, in the future and to have a learning curve that's incredibly shortened. And I think even the Julie and I talked about this, but one of the benefits for the students is a course like this, a class like this, the work that they're doing at Utah State accelerates their learning curve if and when they do go into industry. And accelerating that learning curve just Put you one step further on your own career journey, uh, wherever it may take you, but getting off to a great strong start can accelerate a career. And I think that's the end goal of the program. So that, uh, that to me is equally exciting as much as what it selfishly might mean for Solomon and our own business and brand efforts, interests. Yeah. And again, kind of maybe, maybe to kind of wrap, wrap some of this up, Julie, from your perspective, um, I guess, where do you go from here? Where I like, what are what maybe things that you would change the next time? I'm sure you're kind of going through that process and, mm-hmm. and evaluating some of that now, but is there anything right off the bat that you kind of look at, you know, things that you'd change for the, for the next, uh, next 
project? Yeah, I'm I'm sort of digging into kind of outcomes and um, I, I survey my students at the midterm and at the end of every single term. So I'm sort of still working through that data and what things that I could improve upon and do better in that space. Um, I feel like this collaboration was really honed in uh, simply because I had iterated on it previously. I obviously uh, take on that design methodological approach of nothing's ever perfect and we can always improve upon it. And I'm looking for ways to kind of um, change up some of that curriculum and like how I present it to students so that they really do get that leap um, a little bit further. And I'm not sure exactly um, what I'm going to change specifically about the course or my approach, but I think if Scott's open to it, like a a deeper collaboration um, and maybe we talk separately about various ways, maybe you can write those uh, design prompts a little bit differently or um, giving them a little bit more focus if it's a specific thing that Solomon might be looking for. contacts maybe i i mean i'm still trying to get my hands on physical nasa technology and that's harder than one might think and one might think it's really hard it's even harder than that so trying still to get my hands at least the tactile pieces maybe not full sample size pieces of product because our students are very tactile they're very experiential they love to work with physical um, objects so that it helps them kind of manifest between concept and reality. And that's something that I'm still having conversations with other folks on how to make that more accessible for them. Well, well that's great. It's It was an amazing project. I mean, I, I was able to watch the final presentations and I was super impressed. Um, I'm I'm. A- excited these students like you you two have found a way to simulate like what it could be like to be on a design and development team and either in a design development or plm role and um you know I'm, i'm with you scott that any chance we have to to accelerate that and give these students an opportunity to to get ahead and simulate that experience in the classroom is is a good thing and and mission accomplished i i I can confidently say that you two, you two did that. Um, and you can feel that, you know, to your point, Julie, the students walking away, the confidence they feel, the pride that they have in those projects. And, and now I'm starting to see students sharing those projects. Um, and they, they really are proud of them and, and they should be. So, um, I don't want to, Scott, any, I know, did you have some thoughts there? Sorry to cut you off. No, no, you didn't cut me off. I was just reinforcing what you said. They should be proud. You know, they absolutely should be proud of the work they did. That's great. We'll we'll probably wrap it here. This has been great, um, Scott. Thank you for your partnership and support of the program. It's it's been phenomenal. Um, and again, to have a, a partner like Solomon um, in our program, it's it's a natural fit considering, you know, the categories that our students are designing for and 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 the performance that they hope to achieve in the products they create. So we appreciate you taking the time and and being a resource for them. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.